And man, as we launch this new year, I want to share a message with you that I think the Lord has used to transform my life and my family uh, and honestly our church. And I'm going to start this new year by teaching you about what Jesus said was the most important thing in the world. But before I get into it, uh, let me tell you one of my favorite stories. There are two Bible Bible college students from up north. Man, they've been out for some weekend in ministry and uh, they were driving home, guy and a gal, and it started snowing really hard. Now, for those of us from the south, Snow is a white substance that freezes in the air, falls like rain, looks like grits. All right. But anyway, <clears throat> the snow, uh, it's not so hard. The car got stuck and they thought, well, we'll just sit here and uh, keep the heater on until somebody comes by. <coughs> Excuse me. Eventually the car ran out of gas. Nobody came by. So they thought, man, we need to start walking out of here. We're going to get stuck. And so they started walking and before long, they found this hunter's cabin and it wasn't any heat in it, but there was a cot. Uh, and there was a bunch of wool, army blankets, and then a sleeping bag. And so the guy said, let me get in the sleeping bag on the floor, and you lay on this cot, and I'll cover you up with all these blankets, and you know we'll be able to stay warm until tomorrow morning. So the, that's exactly what happened. Got her on the cot, tucked her in good. He got in the sleeping bag, zipped it up. About five minutes later, she said, man, I'm sorry, but it is really cold. And he's like, all right. So he unzipped the sleeping bag, got up, put two or three more blankets on her, tucked her in real good, got back in the sleeping bag, zipped it up. Five minutes later, she's like, do you feel a breeze in here or something, man? It's freezing me. So he got out of the sleeping bag again, got up, put more blankets on her, you know, got back in the sleeping bag, zipped it up. About five minutes later, she's like, I'm sorry. I know this is terrible, but I am freezing. He said, you know why? Because it's cold. It is dangerously cold. And I don't know what we're going to do here, but I do know this. We are alone in this cabin and nobody will know what happens here if we don't tell them. So what do you think just for the night, just because it's so cold, if you and I slept together like husband and wife? She said, I would really like that. He said, good, get up and get your own blanket. <laughs> ah, that's not how it's supposed to work, is it? No. Now, now, friends, listen, this is a new year. And I want us to start by asking Jesus, how is it supposed to work? What is the most important thing we could commit to in 2017? Now, when you ask the author of a book, what's he really trying to say? That's when you figure out what the real theme of the book is. And when you ask the Lord Jesus, what is the most important thing in the Bible? The criticality of what he says next is pretty much just off the charts. So look with me in your Bible to Matthew 22. <coughs> Excuse me. Matthew 22. We're going to look at verse 34 through 40. And friends, uh, we're going to read about a skill that Jesus says you just have to master if you want to get it right as a compassion Christian. Look at verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. This is, these are two religious groups. One was liberal. One was real conservative. Uh, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. <clears throat> Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. The second is like it. And that is love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Now let's back up to verse 37. Let's read this all together. You already big voice. Here we go. <clears throat> Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Now this is a fascinating moment. Uh, Jesus is in a crowd one day and a Pharisee asked him, what's the most important commandment in the Bible? Now when asked what is the most important commandment in the Bible, Jesus's answer is proactive. It's not prohibitive or prohibitional. You know, like thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. That's what we would expect. That's not what he says. When he's asked about the most important commandment in the Bible, Jesus quotes the most familiar verse in the Old Testament to any Jewish person. 
is Deuteronomy 6, 5. This is a foundational passage that is quoted over and over and over again through the Bible. The Jews, <coughs> excuse me, the Jewish people call it the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then Jesus added, Leviticus 19, 18, love your neighbor as yourself. Now think about that. When he is asked what's the most important thing in the Bible, Jesus says you can boil the whole Bible down to two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your being and love your neighbor as yourself. Friends, what he's saying is you can get a lot wrong in this life. But if you get love right, you will have gotten the most important thing right. Now, Stephen Covey is kind of a time management guru, and he's got this illustration that I love. Uh, he'll come into class, put kind of a translucent plastic bucket up on the desk, fill it up with rocks until you can't get another rock in it. And then he'll ask his students, now, is this bucket full? And they're like, oh, yeah, I don't know about that. Now, it brings up a bucket of gravel, pours it in over the big rocks, you know, until it's right up to the top. Now is the bucket full. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Grab a bucket of sand, pours the sand in over the gravel, you know, pour, shake, pour, shake, till the sand's right up to the top. Now is the bucket full. And they're like, yes. And he's like, I don't know. Here's a bucket of water. And he pours the water into the bucket. And you watch that water come right up to the very top and stop. And he's like, now is the bucket full. And they all go, yeah. And he's like, yeah, yeah, it's absolutely full. There's not one molecule of space left in this bucket. Now, what can we learn about this? And they talk about all the life lessons and all the business lessons they can learn about this. But he said, the most important thing you learn from this illustration is you always put the big rocks in first. Because if you don't put the big rocks in first, your life will get so full of secondary things that you can't get the big rocks in. You put the big rocks in first, put everything else around that. And what Jesus is saying in this passage is that love and compassion toward God and your family and your friends and your world, that's the biggest rock of all. So in the time that remains today, I want to train you. I'm going to train you to do the most important thing in the world. Some of you did not grow up in loving families, so I'm going to train you to be a loving family today or at least get started on it. So let, let us begin. The first way you can do the most important thing in the world is to tell people that you love them. Say it with me, everybody. Tell people. <coughs> Just come out and say it. I love you. Let's practice. All right. Repeat after me. I love you. Like lions. I love you. Gently and lovingly, I love you. Like Elvis, I love you. <laughs> See, you can do this, right? I mean, y'all can do this, right? Now, if you're single, you probably remember, and you know that at the end of the date, the last thing that is said kind of tells you, it kind of defines the relationship, right? And so on your first date, you kind of haltingly stand there until somebody says, well, I had a really good time tonight. And then the other person will say, well, I had a good time tonight too. And if they don't say that, there ain't going to be no second date. Amen. But anyway, if you keep dating that person and keep having a good time, eventually it's going to go to the next level and somebody's going to say, I'm really glad I'm getting to know you. I really value your friendship. And they're going to say, well, I really value your friendship too. And it's going to be like, "Uh uh-huh. And then eventually somebody's going to say, you know, you're becoming a very important person in my life. And they're going to say, well, you're becoming a very important person in my life. And if you go up a level and they don't, they just ain't that into you. All right. That's the sad part right there. But eventually, if you just keep getting tighter and tighter and tighter, somebody is going to say the three most life-changing words in the world. Does anybody know what they are? I love you. And when they say those words, the relationship will change. They will go to a new level because you've just said the three most powerful words in the English language. 
Those words are so powerful that sorry men will say those words to an insecure woman on the first date because they know you can manipulate some kinds of people just by saying these words. Now, friends, it's just hard to overestimate the importance of hearing, hearing, everybody say hearing, hearing. the words, I love you. Now, unfortunately, many of us grew up in the John Wayne era, you know, so we kind of were taught that you don't have to say those words. Everybody's just supposed to know. Uh, it's kind of like Archie Bunker. Archie Bunker told his wife, Edith, look, I told you I loved you when we got married. How many times I got to say it? What's the answer to that question? Every day. Every day, as often as possible. You know, when my boys were little, they gave me a movie for my birthday one time. And the movie's called Eight Seconds. It's a rodeo movie. Any of y'all ever seen that movie? It's a great movie. It's about a kid who becomes a national champion rodeo rider. And he's got a dad who is unpleasable. His dad is one of these old guys that, you know, just felt like if you don't tell your kids how how you feel about them, then they'll try harder and harder to win your approval and that'll be good for them, right? Or, Or maybe he just wasn't comfortable saying those words for whatever reason. And so he never musters the courage to tell his son how proud he is of all of his accomplishments. And and you know, eventually the son wins the national bull riding championship and never hears his dad say, I'm really proud of you. Well done. Way to go. Never says it. And then in the movie later on, the, the kid gets gored by a bull and dies. And the most powerful scene in the movie, you know, shows this dad sitting on the couch in front of the television, playing a video of his son winning the national championship. Tears running down his face. And his wife finds him there and leans up against the door, watching him grieve. And he eventually realizes she's there. And he kind of throws over his shoulder, you know, I'm just trying to remember if I ever told him how proud I was of him. And I, I hope he knew. But I'm just trying to remember if he ever heard me say those words. Now, friends... The people that you love deserve better than that. And so let me train you. Let me give you a couple suggestions on how to get started with this. Number one, make it standard operating procedure. You know, I have a ritual at my house. I kiss my wife, Sarah, and I tell her I love her before I go to work in the morning. I kiss my wife, Sarah, and tell her I love her when I come back from work in the the afternoon. And I don't kiss anybody until I kiss Sarah. Now, when I had three little boys at home, that became kind of a problem because they figured this out sooner or later. And they're trying to kiss me early. And I'm like, get out of the way, boy. I got to go kiss your mama. And they're like, you kissing us today, old man. And they'd be jumping off the refrigerator, you know, bam, bushing me in the, in the garage. Get off of me. I got to go kiss your mama. I drag them to the garage. No, you kissing us. And I grab her and roll her over, give her a big kiss. And they're like, ah, oh, that's nasty. <laughs> of course, in the back of their mind, what they're thinking is, I'm an oddball. My daddy loves my mama. I'm an oddball in my class. My dad is crazy about my mom. Because of a little ritual that was a part of our house. Now you think, again, it's just a peck and go, right? Well, you know, after 10 or 15 years, it becomes a little bit more than that. The last word my wife hears before she goes to sleep at night is, Sarah, I love you. Last words every night. It's a value in our home. Now you might be thinking, Kim, if I started doing that tomorrow, my my family would know it's just because you said it in this sermon. Not a year from now, they wouldn't. A year from now, they'd think, my daddy loves me. My daddy tells me every single day, my mama, my kids, they love me. We love each other in this family. We tell each other every day. That's how we do it. I would encourage you to look for a memorable way to say it. Have you ever winked approval at a family member? You know, you're in this big gathering somewhere. You got your kid with you. You got your wife with you. And it's just a bunch of nuts there. And you look and catch their eye and you just wink at them. And it just, it just kind of says, you know what? You and I have something that none of these other folks are ever going to have. 
Or you just do something goofy, you know, corny. You get your five, fifth grade kid, you know, and you stand him in front of him right before you go to bed and say, son, if I could have all the fifth grade boys in the world and just line them up right here and pick the one I want, I'd pick you every time. Now, when you say that, what do you think your fifth grader boy is going to say? Oh, dad, you put a deposit in the love bank there, baby. Way to go, man. What? No, he's not going to say that. He's probably going to say, can we have some pizza or something like that? But you will have put a deposit. You will have made an investment in that love bank. Now, you know, my dad was all man. I'm telling you, he was a farmer. My dad could do one arm chin ups in his 40s. I mean, I remember watching him in a barn, grab a four by six beam and boom, boom. And I'd like, dude, when I get old, I'll be able to do that too. (laughs) Not so much. But anyway, my dad died at 43. How many 43 year olds we got here? Raise your hand if you're 43 year old on all of our campuses. If you're 43, nothing will happen to you. Go ahead and raise it. I know some of y'all don't want to admit that. But listen, my dad died at 43. I went to bed on the 20th of December and the next morning my dad was in heaven. I'm so glad the last words he heard me say were, good night, daddy, I love you. And the last time I saw him alive, my dad kissed me and said, I love you, Cam, sweet dreams. That was standard operating procedure for him every day of my life. Consequently, when he died unexpectedly, he died with nothing important left unsaid. Way to go, dad. Well done. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I didn't have a daddy like that. I know. That's why I'm training you today. I'm training you to do better by your family than somebody did by you. Amen? You can do this. Here's the second way to do the most important thing in the world. Put your love in writing. Say it with me, everybody. Put your love in writing. Now, I went to a funeral of one of my heroes years ago. His name was Bob Weaver. Bob was a great preacher. He's just an awesome leader. And at his funeral... The pastor pulled out a letter that Dr. Weaver had written and left in his will that nobody in his family had ever seen with instructions to read it at his funeral. And man, that pastor stood up and read this letter that he wrote to his wife, Margaret. And what a great partner you've been for me. You've loved me through thick and thin. You supported my ministry. I love you. I can't tell you what a noble woman you are. He had three sons. One was a Delta pilot, one was a Chick-fil-A operator. And then he had a daughter and I can't remember what she did. But man, he talked about what was so special about each one of those kids and what a blessing they were and how proud he was of them. Listen, the last words of encouragement he gave his family, he was in heaven. Now, what do you think happened to that letter after that funeral? You think they threw that away? No way. There's a copy of that letter in every safety deposit box of everybody in that family. It's a family treasure now. Now listen, here's the rule on written expressions of love. Children never throw away a handwritten note from their parents. Dude, you write your child a letter, your son or daughter at college or wherever they may be, 30 years from now, they'll still have that letter somewhere in their Bible or something like that. I did an experiment on this when my sons were little. I, I got up early one morning. I got a little note card out. I wrote every one of them a note, three sentences. Hey, you're the best kid in the fifth grade. Love you, dad. Put it in their lunchbox. Never told them about it. Uh, when we were putting those lunchboxes away in June of that year, one of my kids still had that note in his lunchbox. I, maybe he never found it. I don't know, you know. <laughs> or maybe he just liked pulling out in front of his friends at school every day. A note from his dad. I'm just saying, man, when you express your love to a spouse or a child in a handwritten note, it is theirs forever. I'm not talking about texting and emailing. Any fool can do that. I'm talking about taking the month for y'all who are under 40. You get a piece of paper <laughs> and a pen and you write on it. Okay. And then it doesn't go away. It doesn't expire. It doesn't get lost in the cloud. It's awesome. It's a pretty durable way 
to do the most important thing in the world. Third way to do it is to exercise loving touch. Everybody say, say it with me. Exercise loving touch. You know, appropriate human touch is such, is an amazingly powerful way to say, I love you. Now we know this because if you study the life of Jesus, you will discover that he would often show compassion through appropriate touch. Jesus held children. He blessed them. Kids like Jesus. They like to be around Jesus. Now listen, kids only like one kind of man. They like men who like kids. And Jesus apparently liked kids because kids loved him. Jesus would touch people who are ill. I mean, touch people with leprosy, with diseases that nobody wanted to even get close. Have you ever been in the hospital for a long time? Because if you have, you know how isolating that place can be. And people walk in your room and you got hoses sticking out everywhere and they're afraid to touch you. Something might come loose, start spraying all over the place and, and everybody's, you know, kind of uh, uncomfortable. Man, we train people here at our church. When you go to the hospital, you find a way to touch that person. Pray for them. Put your hand on their shoulder. Just that simple, appropriate touch says, I love you in a powerful, tactile way. I mean, here at church, I hug everybody. If you don't want to get hugged, do not speak to me here at church. My motto is, hug them all, let God sort them out. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, when I first came to, to Compassion Christian, we had a, a friend of mine was a captain in the army. Uh, he was in the JAG Corps. He's an attorney. And after a year or so, he said, Cam, you know what? I think you have hugged me more than my dad ever did. I was like, seriously? He said, yeah, my dad just wasn't in the, you know, he just, he, he just couldn't do it. He's all locked up. And now he's trying to change and he's trying, but it's really hard for him. And I was like, dude, wow, I'm glad somebody's hugging you. But I wish your dad had kind of cowboyed up. Now, this is really hard for some of us. And it's really, you know, natural for others of us. You know, if you're Dutch, a handshake is a deep emotional experience. <laughs> And, you know, if you're Italian, a full body hug with two sways, it don't even count until you sway the second time, right? But I'm telling you, loving touch is more powerful than you can imagine. You know, Dr. Donald Joy says a child can learn a lot about the nature of God just by watching loving parents do what comes natural. I mean, you look at a mom with a child. They're tender. They're loving. They're nurturing. They're gentle. They learn this. They learn about the compassionate, nurturing nature of God from their mommy. When you fall in and get hurt as a kid, did you run to your dad? No, because he's going to say, spit on it, rub some dirt in it. You'll be fine. You go to mama. Oh, baby, come here. Let me, do we need to get stitches for that? Let's go to the hospital. We need to buy you a toy. I mean, you know, something like that. But, you, know, you look at the Renaissance painting of the mother Mary holding the baby Jesus. She's always holding him close over her left breast, close to her heart. Man, kids learn from a healthy mom about the loving, nurturing, compassion of God. But dads, in a crazy way, they tend to teach the transcendent nature of God. That God can burst into any situation and completely change it. You know, often a dad will come home at the end of the day, take the baby from the mama, get down on the floor and play with it. I mean, rolling around like a lion in a lion club and the mama's going, whoa, 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 whoa. And the kid's just giggling. You know, you know dads will put kids on top of stuff and say, jump and I mean be upset if the child doesn't jump right why because that dad that that dad is trying to tell that kid listen when I'm here the rules of gravity don't work the same way if I'm here you're safe in situations you might not be safe if I wasn't here he has a transcendent power in that child's life dads would take a kid and throw him up in the air and catch him and 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 you know what moms hate that dads love it I remember when Harrison I mean one of my sons uh, was a little boy, I would throw him up and I got to where I could throw him up and spin him and he'd do like a two and a half and boom, I'd catch him like that and we thought that was so cool 
And I was showing Sarah's mom about it, and I got too close to the wall. And I threw him up, and when he threw bam, he kicked a picture. Picture comes off, almost hit her on the couch. I like, I grabbed him, you know, upside down just before he hit the floor. And she looked, at, I looked over her, and she's like, I'm calling the police. I mean, I'm done. Mom, put you in jail, boy. You know, it's just, it's just crazy. But, but what Dr. Joy, now here's the interesting thing. Dr. Joy says science has confirmed that the inner ear of a child needs the exact kind of turbulence in the child's inner ear at that exact developmental stage that the dad wants to throw the kid up in the air. And if the kid, the dad doesn't throw the kid up like that, the child's inner ear won't develop properly and the kid will have motion sickness as an adult. So if you are car sick today, it's because you henpecked daddy, listen to your mama instead of the Lord. Amen. <laughs> Just kidding. <clears throat> Seriously though. You know, when dads do this kind of crazy stuff, they teach their child to experience joy and fear at exactly the same moment. And listen, you can't know God deeply until you figure out how to experience joy and fear and deep respect at exactly the same moment. Now, I know what some of y'all are thinking. Cam, I don't have to do all this touching to communicate love to my family. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe of all the families in the world, yours is the exception. And they don't need an overt expression of love from you. But I doubt it. I doubt it. Friend, if you are not comfortable demonstrating your love to appropriate touch, I want to challenge you to get over that. Get over it in 2017. You know, I spoke on this subject at the Georgia State Senate one time. And I had a 65-year-old senator come up to me afterwards in tears running down his face. He said, you know, I never confronted the self-centeredness in my life in this area until just a couple years ago. But he said, Pastor, I'm making up for lost time now and my family's loving it. I thought, dude, you are a wise man. Old dog learning some new skills, amen? And if he can do it, you can do it. You know where we see this make a huge difference every week? In our children's ministry here at church. Man, we, we get to love and, and teach and hug and care for these little kids. Many of them have dads who are deployed or there's no dad in the home or they're going through a tough time or something like that. That's why so often when you see a child baptized into Christ here, there'll be a youth coach, a small group leader in the baptistry with them because that person has such a profound impact on their life. And you know, you've got one of these flyers in your program today. And if you're not serving anywhere at Compassion yet, I want to encourage you to, to start serving in our children's ministry. Just be a conduit of, lo- of the love of God, the compassion of Jesus into the life of a child here at our church. If you want to make a difference forever, love a child. If you want to see crime go down in America, pick a kid out and love that kid and see what God does. Even if this is uncomfortable for you, I want to challenge you to climb out of your comfort zone for the sake of the people you love. Another way to do this is through small acts of kindness. Say it with me, everybody. Small acts of kindness. Did you hear about the guy that was sitting at work one day? He's sitting at his desk and he started thinking about his wife. And he realized he hadn't been showing her the attention that he needed to show her. And he got under conviction about it. And so on the way home, he stopped at the florist. He bought one long stem yellow rose. You know, any idiot can order a dozen roses. But he picked out that one most beautiful flower. Went to the front door, rang the doorbell. She came to the door. He whipped that flower out and said, baby, I was sitting at my desk today thinking about you. And I was thinking about the day we got married and how beautiful you were and how radiant you were and how I stood before all of our family and friends and God Almighty and said that I would love and honor and cherish you all the days of my life. And I have not done a very good job of that. And I'm going to give you this rose as a pledge of my commitment to give you the love that you deserve. She took that rose and held it to her chest and she thought, wow, this has been a terrible day. Kid got sick, 
washing machine broke. And now he came home drunk. <laughs> hey, it shouldn't be like that. Shut it. I mean, really? I mean, come on, man. You know, when you have these little acts of kindness, gifts, flowers, call. I call my wife at 11 o'clock every night when I'm traveling. If I'm not in our bed, I call my wife at 11 o'clock every single night. You know why? Because what that tells her is that while I was away, I was thinking about you. Now, I've been praying for three friends that told me this week that they're battling breast cancer. They're all, you know, in our ministry. And let me tell you, that's a tough fight. That's a year of your life. I know that because my Sarah went through that. And I will never stop thanking God for our life group and for our church and the way our church blessed us when Sarah was fighting that fight through cancer. Now, let me give you a tip. If you have a friend that ever comes to you and says, I've got cancer, do not say, if you need me, call me. Because they will not call you. They, they just won't. They don't want to impose. There's a million reasons for that. They won't do it. Here's what you do. Instead of saying that, just do what you would do if they did call you. Bring some food over. Bring lasagna. Offer to take their kids to a movie. Offer to babysit for them while they go to chemo. Cut their grass. Wash their car. Sit with them in the waiting room. You know, three months ago, we had a young man at our East Campus grow very sick, very suddenly. And sadly, he did not survive that battle. Uh, little Tommy Terry was 11 years old when he went to be with the Lord. Uh, he was a great tech volunteer at our East Campus. He worked in our children's ministry. His mom worked with him in our children's ministry. And when he was struck sick, the team that they served with started serving them. And I mean, just covered them up with love and compassion and care. Our East Campus team set up a vigil so that Tommy was never alone. His mom and dad were never alone. They, they had somebody on that team take care of their sister while they were going through that hospitalization. Man, through our team, the Lord God fed that family, held them, sat with them, cried with them. The people they served with served them because they were part of our family. Now, friends, our life group did all of that for me and Sarah when she was sick. And I will never forget those expressions of love. I'm so glad we were a part of a life group before we needed a life group. Hear hear me when I say this. I'm so glad I was part of a life group before I needed one. And if you're not in a life group, you're exposed. You're not going to get that kind of care. It's impossible because you have chosen not to. Now, there's also a flyer in your program today about life groups. And if you're not in one, maybe some of you need to be leading one. Man, go out here to Connecting Point as soon as this service is over and just say, look, I'm not connected yet. I'm not on a ministry team. I'm not in a life group yet. I need to get connected because, listen, you want to be connected before you need to be connected. And you're in charge of this. It's a way to say, I love you. I'm going to get into an environment where I can show people love through small acts of kindness. Which brings us to the last, you know, way, the last way we'll talk about today. You just enter into the life of the people that you love. Say it with me, everybody. Enter into the life of the people that you love. You know, Romans chapter 12, which I think is one of the greatest interpersonal relationship chapters in the Bible. I mean, Romans 12 almost defines emotional, uh, emotional intelligence, right? What, What it looks like. Paul says in Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. You know what that means? We show up for each other. You know, in a loving community, a family or a church or a life group, you laugh at those who are laughing and you weep with those who are weeping. How many of you have ever been to a fifth or sixth grade band 
concert that sounded like a cat killing. Any of y'all ever been to one of those? You don't go to that because you love music, friends. You go to that because you love that trombone player. Amen. As a fifth grade tram- trombone player, that's your grandson, that's your child, that's your whatever it might be. How many of y'all ever been to a ballet recital that looked like the baby elephant walk? You know what I'm talking about? I'm just saying. Listen, that's not about art, man. That's about that little girl. Or, or go to a little league ball game and you know, ain't nobody here going to do the show. Nobody. I mean, the coach has to stand in the third baseline to keep the kid from running the wrong way. You know, you go there because you love somebody. You love somebody on that team. You know, when you love somebody, you laugh at those who laugh, right? You show up for stuff. Rick Russaw is a preacher friend of mine out in Colorado. And when his dad retired after 35 years uh, as an executive of some company up in New York. And you know how it is on that last day when you pack everything you want in your office into a box and you carry it out to your car for the last time and you go home for the last time. When he got to his house, his son, Rick, was standing in the driveway doing this. Way to go, dad. Way to go, man. You were there for my, my mom. You were there for me and my brothers and sisters. You were there for that company. You did it right. You honored Christ the whole way. Way to go. What do you think that meant to that dad? For his son to come from Colorado for that. Just to say, way to go. Well, you know, that's, that's how love is. You know, when you love people, you show up. You show up at weddings and retirement parties and graduations and birthday parties and bad band concerts. Man, you show up at daughter's offices and hospitals and funeral homes and gravesides. Man, when you love people, you show up. You know, I I have a a nephew named Josh, who's the first full-time missionary we ever sent out from our church. He went to Greece, and we had two mission teams go to Greece this summer, still supporting that ministry. Josh is an awesome young man. Uh, He came back home on a furlough from that mission uh, to go to Dallas Theological Seminary and take some classes there. Sarah and I got a call one morning that Josh had died in his sleep. 31 years old, 31 years old, great athlete, but he had some kind of heart condition that just gave out on him and died in his sleep at 31. I I can't tell you how shocked I was by that news. I love that boy. Uh, I heard though that his mother was flying from San Antonio to Dallas to go identify the body and nobody was going with her. And I thought, no, no, no. So I called the chairman of our elders. I said, look, Somebody needs to be there with that mama. That, that boy is a member of our church. He's a missionary from our church. They said, Cam, you need to go. And so I grabbed the airplane. And I mean, we flew out to, to Dallas. And by God's grace, I beat her there. I was standing in front of the funeral home when she showed up to identify her son. I was standing by her side when they took us back to that room where she identified her boy. It's a hard place to be. But I'm so glad by God's grace, he allowed me to be there for her during that awful time. We went to California for Josh's funeral, you know, and Sarah's family is a great family. Love the Lord. Generations of faith in her family. So, you know, at Josh's funeral, we were sad and glad. You know, we were sad for this awful loss, but glad for the promises of eternal life and the confidence we had that he was with the Lord and all that. And so the night before the funeral, we're all sitting at this little cheap hotel in Fallbrook, California. And, you know, we're, we're talking about Josh and just kind of reminiscing of that. And I look up. And here comes Dave Stewart from our church. And I was like, dude, what are you doing here? Because Dave was in my life group when he was an executive with UPS. I drove to Colorado to sit down with him and ask him to leave that lucrative career to become the missions pastor of our church. And he did. And there is not a better missions pastor in the world than Dave Stewart. He's on his way to India this afternoon to, to serve our purposes there. But on that day, 
He left his wife and his kids in Savannah to fly to California to be there with me and my wife and my kids and Josh's mom. You know why? Because when you love people, you show up. Now, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, you were born for this. (laughs) Dude, you were born for this. You were born again for this. If you're a follower of Jesus, the love of God is in you. His Holy Spirit is in you, is trying to trying to get out. And dude, this is the good fight. So if you're thinking, well, this is not comfortable for me. I don't care if it's comfortable for you. It's not about you anyway. It's all about Jesus. Amen. And if this is the best way to show Jesus, let's cowboy up. This is the good fight, man. Let's get in it to win it. Let's make a commitment right now. This January, this year, Lord willing, I'm going to master these skills to show my family and, and my God and my world the love that I have for them in my heart. Do these are skills that any follower of Jesus can master. And if you do, you will not know till you get to heaven the full impact of that decision. Let me finish this message up with another one of my favorite stories. There's a guy that lives in Atlanta named Milt Cunningham. Milt served on the mission field for a long time. Got, has a business stuff going on here in America. And so he's in Atlanta and he got this call. Got to be in Dallas, you know, this afternoon. So you know how it is. You, you try to get that flight at the last minute. And they always put you in the middle seat, right? And Milt is a big guy. I'm a big guy. If I had an airline, I would have no middle seats on that airline. All right. So anyway, they got Milt in this middle seat. So he gets on the airplane and sitting beside him is this little Down syndrome girl. And she's, you know, eight or nine years old, something like that. And she's got all the coloring books and all the stuff to play with. So she'll have a great trip. But Milt's looking at this empty seat over here thinking, I'm going to sit over here until this thing takes off. And maybe nobody will sit here. And me and this little girl will have plenty of room to spread out. And I won't have to sit in the middle seat. So he sits on the aisle seat. She's sitting over there. And while they're waiting on the plane to fill up, she touches him and says, hey, mister, did you brush your teeth this morning? (laughs) And he was a little bit surprised, but he smiled at her and said, yeah, baby, I did. She said, that's good because you're supposed to brush your teeth every day. And then she went back to coloring or whatever it was, you know. And, and a few minutes later, she, she touched him again and said, hey, mister, do you smoke? And he said, no, baby, I don't smoke. She said, that's good because smoking will make you dead. And, you know, and so she went back and, you know, doing what she was doing. And then pretty soon she, she showed him and says, hey, hey, do you love Jesus? And he said, yeah, baby, I, I love Jesus with all my heart. She said, that's good because everybody's supposed to love Jesus. And, you know, she went back to doing her thing, you know, and he just thought, what a cool little girl, right? So the plane is just about ready to be filled up and he's kind of hoping and the last guy to come on the plane, businessman, briefcase, raincoat over his arm, looking at that chair, Milt thought, oh man, I'm in trouble. Came right to that seat. So Milt moves up by the little girl, guy takes his seat, they shake hands, they're getting ready for the flight to Dallas and and she nudges Milt and says, ask him if he brushed his teeth this morning. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, baby, I cannot do that. She said, ask him. You know, those little kids. Uh, they, they want what they want, right? I mean, they'll go, they'll go ballistic on you. She's like, ask him. So he's like, hey, my little friend over here wants to know if you brushed your teeth this morning. And he looked over to see who it was. And he said, yes, I did. And she said, oh, that's telling me you're supposed to do that every day. He said, well, you're not supposed to do that every day, you know. And so anyway, they got the plane all closed up and they're pushing back. And about the time they push back, she says, ask him if he smokes. And he's like, I can't, I'm not going to ask him if he smokes, darling. This is a no smoking flight. You can't even float. Ask him. So anyway, she's like, she wants to know if you smoke. And he looked over and smiled and said, no, baby, I don't smoke. And she said, I'll kill you. Said, well, you know, smoking will make you dead, bro. And I'm, you know, it's a good thing you don't smoke. Now, y'all know where this is going, right? About the time they get ready to take off, she says, ask him if he knows Jesus. And Mill's like, darling, I cannot ask this man if he knows Jesus. That's too personal. Of course, he just asked him if he brushed his teeth this morning. I don't know what the big deal was. But anyway, she said, ask him if he's up. So he's like, hey, my little friend over here wants to know if you love Jesus. No smile. No smile this time. 
He just looked at Milton and said, nope. No, I don't. Wish I did. Man, my marriage is in trouble. My business is a terrible stressor. I wish I was a man of faith. I just don't know how to get there. And of course, the Lord has set him down right beside a missionary and a little girl who is an expert (laughs) on the most important thing in the world. And Milt had an opportunity to lead that man to a life-changing relationship with Jesus because of a little Down syndrome girl who understood how to do the most important thing in the world. Now, if God can use her to lead that guy to a life-changing relationship with Jesus, imagine what he can do to all of us if we master this skill. Friends, showing your love to the people that you love is the most important thing you will do in 2017. Let's get after it. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus making this crystal clear. You know, great theology is really important, but Lord, it's not as important as that theology showing itself through love. Father, great churches are awesome, but they're not great if the people in those churches don't find a way to show their love for you and show their love to everybody else. And so I just pray, God, that today there will be hundreds of us who will decide that we're going to begin to be overt about our love. Not crazy, not obnoxious, not goofy, but appropriately proactive. And I pray, God, that you will bless it, that our families will go deeper that the divorce rate in our church will be so far below what it is in the culture that people want to know what it is, what's going on. I pray that our kids will grow up more secure, brighter, stronger, achieve more, not not because they've been pushed, 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 but because they've been loved, loved, loved. And I pray, God, that you would do a work in this group of people that will shine a light to a lost world. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. 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 Amen.